If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. This is a Change Physician, episode 241. Welcome back to The Change Physician. I am Melissa Katie, the Challenge Doctor, with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kikaro, to bring you happiness. Oh, let's talk about the three elements of happiness. Um, <laughs> Kevin, why don't you tell the audience what we're referring to or where we're getting this from, maybe uh, what we're talking about. Sure. So over the last several months, I have uh, been kind of surreptitiously through so social media and you know, stuff like grabs you and the algorithm chooses. It chooses what it thinks that you need to see, or maybe actually to make you happy. Better, what makes <laughs> what you want to see. And apparently it knows it's like, oh, you, Dr. Kukaro, maybe you've been having some apathy and dissatisfaction in life. And yes, yes, I have. I don't know how the algorithm knows all this. Um, and this is, we, we kind of talked about it off air before we, we, we put it on here. And it's, it, this has been something um, that has been going on for me for over a year now, I would say. And you know, people, oh, you're depressed. Well, I'm not depressed. Like, so de depression has anhedonia, which is the lack of pre pre pleasure. And then another aspect of it is, is, is profound apathy. So like nothing matters, nothing feels good and nothing's ever going to get better. And what I've been feeling um, intermittently is sense of apathy. Like nothing really matters. It's like, well, why am I doing anything anymore? Part of it, I think had to do with the transition from, I went from kind of my consulting education, where it was my own thing. And then I stepped more into an employed role, which is a whole different dynamic. And then you're like, well, you know, something that I thought was going to be my life's work, isn't my life's work anymore. So I don't know, existential crisis will put it over it is. And so with that apathy, one of the other things I was looking at was, well, happiness and what's how do you combat apathy uh which will be another episode sometime because it's um it's very interesting like, like that's the thing is like when you start looking up apathy and like how to combat it as anything like the most challenging things there's very very little stuff and most of it you're like oh you do know that what you're recommending is sort of like the reason that the apathy is there like it's like you know it's like i don't know it, it, it's like the recommendation is do this despite the fact that you don't want to do that and you're not <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're, it kind of becomes a circular argument. Anyway, um, I stumbled on this elements of happiness thing. And what I like about that is instead of people, like, people will just say, well, they use a word happiness. And me, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like when we're discussing happiness, what's the context? What's the definition of it? And so this gentleman, Arthur Brooks, who is a professor at Harvard, apparently, and he's got this class on happiness, which I've just recently enrolled in. So that'll be kind of interesting. But he kind of deconstructed, again, if you know me, that's a big buzzword for me, <laughs> happiness into three particular elements. Instead of happiness being this thing, there's actually these three elements that come together to create or construct an experience of happiness. And those three elements being um, enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. And when you have then enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose in varying different degrees, then this experience of happiness is what you're kind of living in. Like that's the other thing about people tend to think as happiness is a destination. And literally all the literature doesn't say that. You can never get somewhere and that's where you're happy. 
Yeah. Instead, happiness is a, is a verb. It's not a noun. And so it's this process of going through something, or maybe you successfully overcame something, and then you have this feeling that develops out of it. Um, so when you start looking at the elements, and what I love about deconstructing anything, whether it's pain, whether it's happiness, whether it's pleasure, whether it's love, whatever, if you can start feeling whether the things that put it together, you can start then adjusting and tempering those individual components in such a way that you can kind of have leveraged effects on the entire experience. And it gives you a greater sense of control and what you're going to do next. So for me, then I'm looking at happiness and enjoyment and satisfaction and purpose. And the biggest one that home to me was purpose because purpose and apathy are strongly linked. When you feel there's no purpose, apathy tends to increase. So this particular YouTube video that I happened to watch as I was doing my exercise today, one of my exercises, which is something that I'm not apathetic about. And is one of my few senses of like profound joy other than my family. The, um, and we should probably link to it for here is these questions about uh, happiness from a Twitter thread. Really, really good. Like I find if I'm taking notes from something that's like a 15 minute video on, in my perspective, that's how I rate it as good because it's usually either new information or presented in such a way that I find very useful. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we can link that in the, in the show notes here. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he mentioned purpose. And then, so, well, okay, well, purpose. And then people are, well, what is my purpose, right? So even if you kind of look at the entrepreneurial journey and they're talking about purpose, 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 who's your tribe, who are you serving or whatever, finding what your purpose is can be very difficult. And if you're just asking yourself, well, what's my purpose? That's a huge question. Well, what is my purpose? Like, what is it? Yeah. So he had a really brilliant way to kind of narrow this down to define what your purpose is, which is this overarching sense, something that is bigger than you. The two questions he said to ask were, why am I alive? Which is a big one. And the second one would be, for what would I be willing to die? And so you have sort of the positive and the negative. You're kind of framing it in both a positive and a negative manner. And then you can use those two questions to sort of define those things that are of such profound importance to you. They're beyond just a sense of you themselves, right? This is a true purposeful uh, moment for you. And um, I haven't sat, since this was lower this morning when I saw this, mm -hmm. I have not sat down and put a ton of time on it. But the things that, that immediately came to mind for me were things like family. Like I love my family. They are huge. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my children and things like that. The other one about for what I would be willing to die for. That's a very, that was an, another interesting one. Cause there's a part where you think, well, I would do this, but then there's another part of saying, well, no, sit back and actually then spend some moments of time. Actually imagine it is a life or death scenario. Like not because a lot of people, oh, I'll die for this. So I die for you. I would die for you. It doesn't know what Prince said, you know, um, you don't remember the Prince song? Do you remember that? I would I die for you. Yes, Maybe I do. Me too, right? And really, <laughs> yes. Prince probably wouldn't die for I know for a lot of the Prince you. songs. I just don't remember the words all the time. <laughs> 1999. So, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a big one. It's like, for what would you Billy willing to die? And, I, you know, the easy one is my kids, my my wife, my my family, um, yeah. friends. I, I, you know, I uh, is for sure. But there's there's got to be like what principles would really be there? Yeah. So that's my next kind of next few days of, of contemplation on is I want to try to find out is what, a, you know, what, a, um, you know, why am I alive? I may not be able to figure that one out. Um, but then what am I willing to die for? 
at least provide some kind of constructive things and provide some hints about other things. And some of this, I think, is as we talk about on our Saturday salutations, if you guys haven't seen our Saturday salutations, they're live on Facebook, usually every Saturday, sometimes they're Sunday. Yeah. Um, we, we had a little talk about like age. So I'm uh, with, depending on when this is actually published, I should be or right around the age of 50 as my birthday is coming up really, really soon. And maybe this episode's coming up after that. And this is, it's a very interesting time where you're transitioning into, you know, some people have this existential dread when it comes to 50. I don't have any existential dread when I'm 50. I kind of think it's exciting because it's, it's, it's a, it's a marker birthday for me. It's this round number that provides this kind of endpoint and also a beginning for whatever the next phase is. And as I've talked about on several of the Saturday salutations, like we are at the end of, um, well, starting this fall, we're going to be empty nesters. My youngest will be heading off to college. We are assisting them through college. That's my goal is to let them get through college without any debt. Um, and, but when they're done, so literally within the next five to six years, well, actually shorter than that, within the next little plus four years, we're to whatever we're going to do next. Right. And so that kind of next phase in the journey then really undertaking it in a way that I've never been aware of in the past. So, you know, high school, you get done with high school. And if you're in a family like mine, you knew you were going to go to college and then you go to college and then it's like, what are you going to do next? Well, I kind of punt that down the road. Cause then I'm like, I'm going to go to medical school. So then you go to medical school and I was going, well, you got residency What's after residency. Well, I was in the Navy. Actually I, I did a fellowship and then I was in the Navy. So then I, the, the next thing is like, well, what am I going to do when I'm out of the, out of the Navy? Well, then we're going to move to Oregon. And then there was some kind of interesting things in that journey but this so it's it's one of those phases though where then being less reactionary i now have four years and i've already spent at least almost two years doing this of like really being conscious about well how am i going to start crafting the elements that i want or at least preparing myself to be in the best place possible when this new transition occurs and so linking it all back happiness is one of those things if you look at the data on people, um, uh, and I, I think they showed it in that one as well, the happiness curve, there's this, there's this period of life, generally you're happiest in your 20s, then it starts going down, and then it starts to bottom out in your mid to, to mid to late 40s, where people tend to be the least happy that they've ever been. But if you can make it through that and um, make it through until you get to basically your early 50s, then it starts to go up again and it tends to then peak again or it gets gets the highest has been around 70, 75. He did mention there's two groups that it doesn't. That's when people have unrequited so, substance abuse and, and untreated mental illness. So if you are in those two categories and you don't have treatment, then your happiness kind of tends to not either plateau or get worse. But if you don't have those two issues, generally, if you are in this point where you're potentially turning 50, and I'm going to say this to all my friends if you're ever watching this, um, and you are in these doldrums and you're like, wow, things just don't seem very good anymore. Well, one, look at, you know, go study the problem and find the evidence because we're in this, you can find this stuff. And hopefully we'll talk about this more as we go through in future sessions. But the other part, if you don't want to do that, is just recognize that all the data says, as long as you make it through 50 and you're hitting in your early fifties, then it starts to going back up again. So yeah, you can either play the averages or you could be a little bit more aggressive and actually go in and do investigate the work there. Um, that's a super long way to say three elements of happiness, figure out, you know, understand what those three elements are, 
start deconstructing those components in such ways that you can apply them. And if you're in the 50 and you're feeling a little bit apathetic and a little existential, don't worry, folks, that's totally normal. Uh, and just kind of join us on the journey as at least as least one of us are, is going through that. And uh, we'll talk about it on future episodes. Yeah. Well, did they say anything a difference differentiate enjoyment versus satisfaction? How did they uh, lay that out? Well, they did, and um, but I've been so focused on the purpose part, I'd have to go back and kind of fit. Look at you know, it. Look well, at everyone things. look at. We'll put a link in there so they can go. Yeah. Find so I'm, 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 there's another article on here is is between enjoyment and pleasure, right? So um, the different so so enjoyment is not the same thing as pleasure, right? So in I, I guess the way I would I would superficially address this is the difference between enjoyment and pleasure is sort of the difference between um suffering and pain right so there's a big debate being this is pain specialists is like pain and then there's suffering and some people will tell you you can't do anything i just it just makes me burn even saying some people do there's nothing you can do about the pain which is not true the only thing that you can actually control is the suffering that's associated with it right i think act in this traditional manner, that's what they'll typically say. And that's, that depends on what your definition of pain is. But if we use that sort of analogy that there, you have like this more primary sensory component or primary, you know, when you're thinking about pain and you're thinking it more in pure of a unpleasant sensory experience aspect, then pleasure would be the primary pleasurable sensation component to it. Enjoyment has an element of pleasure to it, but it isn't pure that because you can have like imagine enjoyment has a sense of there's going to be sensation. There's generally something that's going to feel good about it, but then there's a sort of overarching theme of um, something that you've pursued through your own effort. It's more active as compared to pure pleasure, which is more, can be more passive. Like if you're sitting there just getting massaged, that can be very pleasurable, right? Um, but there's not a lot of activity on your part. If you are doing something, I'm going to use exercise because I'm, I'm really enjoying that where you're doing something and say, you're getting a runner's high. There's an element of pleasure associated with, but there's an active base that becomes a very enjoyable, um, experience for you because there's this more active control induced scenario with it as well. So that's the enjoyment side. And then the, uh, the other piece of being satisfaction let me look. I have to go look and see what are the, the 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 pieces about that as well. Um, we just got to do it. On spot. I was just thinking. God, they seem so similar. You well, know, well, they do, and that's and, and that's a, it. They do, and and that's one of the things that um, I I think it's really important to when you're doing a deep engagement with material. There's the passive superficial role where you hear a word and you're like, oh yeah, I know what that is. That's so easy. Oh, Dr. Kukaro, you're saying enjoyment, satisfaction and purpose are the melons. I know that that's perfect. That's I have all of those, right? And maybe you do, but the deeper element, well, what, what does each of those elements actually mean? So just like you did, well, what's the difference between enjoyment and pleasure? Because if you're superimposing pleasure as enjoyment in the way that we're, we're sort of using the, as defined here, and this is really from, from, Arthur Brooks' definition, which I kind of like, um, then we're not talking about the same thing. And then being able to then investigate each of those elements and then being able to really firmly understand what word we're using and why we're using that word 
what the meaning of the word is and the concepts that are embedded within that word use so that we're kind of um, uh, succinct or so we're, we're sort of overlapping here allows us to actually communicate much more effectively and make sure that we're working on the same thing, if that totally making sense. You know, without reading that article, you know, what comes to mind for me is enjoyment is something it's, it's like, I mean, you enjoy, like you say, kind of in a passive way, but when I think of being truly satisfied, like true satisfaction, I feel like it's meeting a subconscious or conscious need of yours that it, there's something deeper to it. That's like, you really needed that. Like it really satisfies you in some way, whether you're knowing it's going to, or like unconscious, what are you going to say? Well, I was going to say, cause, you, cause you're comparing two of the elements, enjoyment and satisfaction. Yeah. That's and what you, I'm saying. Oh, it, but you need both of them. Right. Right. That's oh, okay. Okay. But I thought I'm, you were like I, the difference I'm, between, I thought you like the difference between them. Okay. No, I, I'm I, saying I, like, I was miscommunicating. Yeah, no, no. Like I'm thinking enjoyment is at this superficial level, but the satisfaction, like you need that part to, for it. It's, it's, it, it has like a deeper uh, effect on you where mm -hmm. it's like, it's probably fulfilling. And I don't know what it says in there, but I feel like it's fulfilling some deep need of yours whether it's you knew you needed it or you didn't know, but that, that it's, it's like, even though you need both, I'm saying like, if you only have enjoyment, but you don't have the satisfaction, it's not really meeting an eat of yours then you're missing something. Yeah. And that's sort of the difference between something that's called hedonic pleasure and eudaimonic um, pleasure. Mm. Those are the, the kind of the Greek words when people hear hedonism, that's more pleasure oriented. Mm -hmm. And there isn't really a meaning or satisfaction that's associated with it, like enjoyment with satisfaction and then purpose being happiness. Um, hedonic is just pure out pleasure. And you can get pure out pleasure from eating something like eating a, food. <laughs> just junk food that gives you this like a sugar rush, maybe pleasurable, but there's no satisfaction associated with it. Someone would feel guilt behind it where this kind of um, uh, eudaimonic part that there's there's actual meaning. And there is something, um, I would even put the word useful about it. There's something that you grow with. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to use my word use here because when you start looking about meaningful, but typically, in, at least in my sort of world, well, I'm kind of infer this growth aspect that there's something more than it, than just the components there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's what you're getting at. And that's like, that's what the key is, is because it's not just, so if you want to simplify it and we just move out enjoyment and we move out satisfaction, we move out purpose. And we would just want to say like pleasure. If you don't have pleasure with meaning and that meaning doesn't have positivity associated with it, and there isn't something more to it, I would say it would be very difficult to be happy. Because yeah. you can do something that just gives you a bolt of, you know, of pleasure or in a very bastardized way. I don't, I, I don't like to do this when people are like dopamine surge or really it's more of an uh, endogenous opioid surge. Um, so biomechanical thing that maybe flushes you, gives you a reaction, makes, makes your heart rate go higher, uh, makes vasodilation and, and um, you know, all those elements that we would come together and kind of say very highly pleasurable. You can have all those things and it may actually have no meaning or no deeper component to it and may actually be harmful long-term if you're thinking something like maybe heroin, um, which wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't, you wouldn't say, well, the injection of, of heroin gives you happiness. Uh, it, it's probably the reverse of that because the guilt and things are associated with it. But um, yeah. so there's, there's more 
to it than just, I don't know, more, more to it than just pleasure for sure. And there's a lot of things that you can do that, that I would say, um, construct happiness, but may actually be not necessarily pleasurable in the most superficial definition of the word. Again, exercise being a very good term. You know, if you are an avid exerciser or those people who are doing like iron men or iron women things, um, you know, you're going to push yourself through a wall and that may be very, um, noxious information going to your brain, burning sensations, like your stamina is not there, but being able to push through and overcome then that actual sensation, which most people would say would be not pleasurable or noxious can actually be associated with a very pleasurable, happiness, uh, meaningful experience for them. Yeah. No, I can, I can say that from, not that I've done ultra marathons or anything like that, but plenty of other physical activity that seems grueling to the outside observer, but you derive a lot of satisfaction and meaning from the challenges you set forth for yourself and you know, achieve it. So. Yeah. Even, I mean, even think like pushing a weight, right? So you, if you've ever been a weightlifter and you, and you, first time you lift a, a weight that you've never lifted before, mm -hmm. that yeah. typically isn't like, I mean, you feel usually good when it's under, but it's pretty damn strenuous when you're trying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, those are good questions there. Plus on calling them out. Okay. What's the difference between enjoyment and pleasure? What's the difference between satisfaction? And I don't know, what's the, what, what, what satisfaction, some other word for satisfaction there. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. I, yeah. Well, that Maybe. one's a tough one. I'd have to actually spend some time on that because I would, my suspicion is feel content, contentment, contentment. Yeah. Maybe contentment and satisfaction. You know, what makes me think of, and I'm not going to give it any direct example, but people that might find enjoyment out of making other people miserable um or or they're driven by ego money power it'd be interesting to see how you would correlate that as if like do do they in some weird way find they're super happy and subconscious like what's going on in that like if they could really be happy doing this to people depending on how they they frame it. So I, I, I think as a frame, unless you're talking about like a sociopath. Yeah. And because um, sociopath, one of the kind of key components, if I remember correctly, of, of sociopathy is like lack of empathy where they, they yeah. don't have the ability to, to feel. And yeah. then they become like chameleons because then they're mirroring it because they, they know they need it, but they don't have that empathy. So, they, well, in, in, the, in the worst terms, they'll kill you, but a lot of times they can do stuff to you and they, and it, where somebody else would say, how could you do that? Mm -hmm. For they don't have any feeling associated with it. They just do it because it is beneficial. Fills their them. own needs. Yeah, there, yeah. There, so there's, there's lack of that sort of empathy there. Um, on other people, though, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a frame. Nobody is running around thinking that they're, they're the bad guy. Yeah. You know, uh, no matter who you are, like Putin is as much of a dumbass that that guy is and as much pain and terror and awfulness that he's going, unless he's a pure sociopath, is very likely constructed a narrative where he believes that he's doing the right thing yeah. Um, in some way, because it is very, very difficult to navigate a process where you're doing something that, that, that you believe is evil while at the same time that you believe you're good. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that dissonance is extreme. And we've talked about cognitive dissonance, I think in other episodes. So um, I think a lot of these people create these these narratives that they're everybody's the hero of their own story they're protecting and, 
themselves. So they protect, protect themselves. themselves. And I, you wish that there was a way in some ways that when, when people are doing things that are um, unethical, immoral, cruel, pure, pure self-interest, like how would you turn the mirror on them? Because mm -hmm. if they actually had that mirror, and again, they're not a sociopath, mm -hmm. then there's at least a, a person that they may have some, some some behavioral change, or they can react because now we're again talking about beliefs, which I think we just talked about in an episode or two ago. And you know, when you beliefs re resist, they beliefs hate it when they have to be changed. They get they are activated when your beliefs something misaligns with your belief, and that distance comes up, then they will get activated. You can tell your heart rate goes up. You know. Um, and and having somebody aware enough then to recognize that their beliefs are are um, being activated and then being aware enough to be willing enough to face them and then you know change or adapt or at least learn from them that's well that's a whole another journey there but that's a long way to say is most people like those the people that you're talking about they construct a narrative yeah they they construct a narrative and how often do we do it right so something wrong happens to us and, and um, if you're human, what will typically, this person is horrible. This person is, they did this. And then we start looking for things that confirm what those beliefs may be. Oh yeah. They're selfish because they did X, Y, and Z, or they're not as good because they did um, uh, Z, A, and B. And, um, and what we're doing is we're basically, you know, reinforcing our frames that allow us to proceed with actions and feelings that are aligned with what what we want to be true in, in many scenarios. Yeah. Um, the difficult part is even in the most adverse situations, if you're, again, you're dealing with somebody who's not a sociopath is to recognize that they're human too. Mm -hmm. And um, they may be doing bad things, but at the bottom of it, they, they, they believe they're, they're not a bad person. Yeah. So then how then, again, how, how then can you move in, in that realm to get them to see that their actions, well, I guess is to figure out what, what those underlying, you know, what they believe to be true to identify what their actions are that are actually counter to their beliefs about them. They're a good person. Does that make any sense? Well, you're, you're yeah. trying to, um, and now I'm just like, I, like actively problems. Like, well, how would I do that? Like, how would you do that? Well, I guess what's your, what's your goal? I mean, what are you trying to achieve? Are you just trying to get them to just see your side or, um, you know, change their behavior or it's First really, you gotta know, do, you, do you think persuasion? Well, everybody cares about themselves. Well, we know that. Right. And so if you go by the old, um, the old, so yeah. Ben Franklin kind of things is uh, he had this, this, this persuasion strategy with people, his worst enemies, where he would ask them, um, for a favor. Hey, you know, let me borrow a book or whatever. And there, there was a beautiful quote. I can't, I, I can't remember exactly. So I'm going to paraphrase it really, really badly, but basically he who's done you a favor is more likely to do you a good in the future. Right. It is in, and from dissonance theory, it makes sense because if you have somebody who doesn't like you or somebody that you're having a bad relationship with, and then you ask them for a, even a small favor and something else, mm -hmm. they now have to align that small, good behavior of helping you to align with the new beliefs of, oh, you know what? Melissa is actually not a bad person. She asked me, you know, I, I thought Melissa was a, was a horrible person, but she asked me for a copy of that book that I really liked. So, um, and I gave it to her. So either she's a bad person and it makes me a bad person because I helped her, or maybe she's not a bad person as I thought, you know, 
I mean, literally, that's what he'd do. He would borrow books from his his, his uh, political enemies and he would kind of transition them into being friends through yeah. these small acts of asking them for a favor, mm. which is the exact opposite. People, Most people say, well, you can't ask your friend, your enemies a, a favor. People give the gift to you, that you, person. Yeah, they give the gift. Yeah. 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 Versus asking yeah. them something. Yeah. 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 Because you kind of put them on. Yeah. That's that's an interesting flip to what people would think. But when you look at the science behind it, again, particularly with dissonance, it, it makes a lot of sense. It yeah, actually it makes a lot. Because if you, because here's the other thing. When you give someone something, that act of reciprocity now implies a burden on the other person. So you can use reciprocity in such a way. If you give a gift, then people feel ob obligated mm -hmm. to give you something back. Most people don't want to feel obligated. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is, I mean, that man, I, I need to go actually read his biographies more. Cause it's like, he was a freaking genius. <laughs> he, he was a genius. That guy was a genius invented all this stuff and like the Franklin oh, yeah. stove and, you know, wrote all, wrote just all this masterful stuff. And yeah. Anyway, someone to study. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing some kind of like credo or like list of top the 13 things, the virtues, the virtues, and you would spend yeah. a week on each virtue and retain. You know, I, I printed that out and put it above my bed in my first year in college. It's been a long time since I've seen them. Is it, is it still above your bed now? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that list went, but, uh, anyway, um, well, cool. Well, um, Anything else you'd like to add to this conversation? I guess maybe a quick summary um, and take us out or? Well, I, I would say when it comes to like happiness, purpose in particular age, what I would really appreciate from whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're watching it uh, or listening to it through your earbuds, um, again, send us, send us your experience about this. This is for, for me personally, this is, and this is something I'm really interested in learning more of because of 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 the magic 50 in this transition period. So what are your thoughts on happiness? What are the things what did you appreciate when it comes to the elements of, of what we discussed here? If you watch the YouTube video which is in the link um which I'm going to just give you the name just in case you're listening to this which is Harvard Professor Answers Happiness Questions from Twitter. Um this is um published by Wired it was on YouTube. You know, send your thoughts or or what do you think about this discussion? What am, what am, what are you think we're missing or I'm missing? Um, cause I would love to have the dialogue. This is, again, I think this is a really interesting topic and it kind of moves into a lot of living well at a point where you're no longer thinking of how am I going to survive or, or what next? And so that's like, it's the next evolution of, of living in the yeah. human experience. And it's fascinating to me. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. You can email those directly to me at Dr. Kevin at the You can post in the YouTube video. Uh, and as always, stay well until the next little talk we have. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.